the whole economy is just screwed. And as I've also been saying, you cannot solve 75 years of governmental mismanagement in a year or two. You can't even do it in five. You can't even do it in 10. You're looking at a lost generation at the very least. And I, I, I saw the other message come by of some Americans started pulling their money out of Social Security long before retirement. Oh, oh, now we've got a bank run on the Social Security fund, which is filled to the brim with U.S. Treasuries. I'll bet plenty of them bought last year and the year before, too. So the moment they start selling down their holdings, even if it's not at a loss, it would still add to the Treasury supply in the markets. You know, the more depositors that pull the money out, the more mortgage-backed bonds and treasuries have to get sold. So while yields are going down in a flight to safety now, that's not going to last forever. At some point, and again, I don't know when this point is, but it must simply happen through logic. At some point, yields are going to start going up despite people fleeing the bonds for safety. And that's also the point where gold and silver start accelerating. Will it be soon? I don't know. I don't know. The banking crisis is fresh. And if there's one thing I can say is that banking crises, crises are not over quickly. Any hope that uh, it would be contained to the, re to the regional banking sector in America is now gone. Now that uh, European bank stocks have dropped across the board. Everybody knows this. This is a giant red signal, just as Silicon Valley Bank was a giant red signal that something is up and people just can't ignore this. Hey everyone, this is your host, Rob Keens with goldsilverpros.com. We're recording this on March 15th, 2023. Have a returning guest of the program. It's Kirian Van Hess, who also is known by Dezo on Hello. Twitch and Twitter. How are you doing, Kirian? I'm doing fine. Better than the banking system, at least. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing very well. It's been a while since we had you on, and we wanted mm. to have you back on to talk about what's going on in the world. Apparently, we wanted to have a brewing bank crisis last week, and so not only do we have the second largest bank failure in U.S. history, we decided to toss on the third one for good measure. Just because we didn't want, we don't like to be outdone here in America. So uh, the second one's biggest one so far. <laughs> yeah, so far. So walk us through what happened with the bank failures. How did, how did all that manifest, and and what does it actually mean? Well, um, the general picture here is, I guess, that uh, there's a fundamental mismatch with the banks' balance sheets meaning that uh, a year ago, interest rates were still very low. Everybody was putting bonds in the balance sheets like crazy, not just treasuries, but uh, mortgage-backed securities, commercial mortgage-backed securities, muni bonds, corporate debt. Everything was based on low, low rates. And then the Fed decided to jack up rates by nearly 5% in a year. So what that means is since uh, bonds and yields are uh, bond prices and yields are linked, and I won't go deeper into that. You don't need to know more than that. The moment the yield goes up, the price goes down. So if you bought a bond for a hundred bucks and the price goes down, that means that yes, if you hold it to maturity, meaning you hold it until the date you get your money back, you do get all your money back. But if for any reason whatsoever, 
you need to sell that bond to come up with the money you invested in it, you're going to have to sell it at market price. So that basically happened last week where the weakest one of the bunch called Silicon Valley Bank finally went under. Now, um, the banking sector was jittery already because uh, Silvergate Bank had just gone under, but that had more to do with crypto and the after effects of the FTX collapse, where uh, a lot of crypto banked with uh, Silvergate Bank and Signature Bank and the spillover effects of the big fraud that FTX was, in the end, ended up taking them down. This is kind of always going to happen. The banking or the traditional system is trying to isolate crypto from the financial or from the fiat system, which means that if you just kill the fiat on and off ramps, which these two banks mainly were, there are others, but they will close their doors just not to get crushed by some stampede while you isolate crypto. For the moment, uh, there's still paths out. Uh, USDC is pretty safe now. They had their money in Silicon Valley Bank. They did get shit on, but because Silicon Valley Bank got bailed out, at least the depositors did, they're safe now. And all their money is with the Bank of New York Mellon. And that's a big one. That one's going to take a while to collapse if it even does. The rest of their money is in treasuries with uh, BlackRock. So finally, after years and years and years of bitching, for now, USDC is safe. And I'll believe that they actually have the money that they say they do. Tether, I really do not know, and I don't think uh, they're legitimate at all. But uh, that is a developing situation. Uh, but what happened with SVB Bank in the end was that Due to these questions around Silvergate and Signature and other banks having to meet deposits from people exiting crypto, um, deposits started dropping everywhere. Credit Suisse is another bank we very much know about at the moment. Uh, also suffered a lot of deposit uh, outruns over the last quarter or two quarters, but that's the one we knew about. Silicon Valley Bank was the one we didn't know about when suddenly on last Thursday, they announced they had to take a $1.8 billion loss on a $2021 billion security portfolio. And uh, they were now going to do a capital raise of $2.5 billion in the open markets. This shocked basically everyone, which also made the VCs, because Silicon Valley Bank was a big uh, venture capital bank, dealt with a lot of venture capitalists, they all got together and decided to run the bank. Well, they, they gave each other the quite sensible advice, honestly, of pulling your money out. The problem is they should have done this long ago. They didn't care until shit hit the fan. Well, shit hit the fan good. And that's what happened last Thursday. So it all happened really quickly. I'll just run through it. Uh, on Thursday, they announced the loss in the sale and the bank run started. By Friday, it took about two hours after market open for them to announce that the sale had completely failed. Well, they said that uh, because of continued outflows, the sale became difficult, which is basically code for it has failed. So that point to try to sell the bank wholesale, that took only 30 minutes to fail. And while the rest is basically history, the FDIC stepped in to shut the whole thing down. Now, again, 
this was just caused by the fact that uh, SVB was the worst one of the bunch. The, the bank was incredibly poorly run by the fact that they did not hedge their interest rate risk. So despite the Fed well ahead announcing that they're going to raise rates and then subsequently raising rates again and again and again and again, and despite their director being, or their CEO being a director at the San Francisco Federal Reserve, despite all that, they had zero hedging for when interest rates were going to go up. Basically, a all-in bet that they were going to stay down forever. It's madness. But like I said before, it's always the stupid ones that go first. Stupid, illegal, moronic, just pick, take your pick. So, um, yeah, we wanted to interject. No, no. Oh, okay, well, I'll just continue then. So on a, uh, after uh, Silicon Valley Bank was done, then uh, we got the whole uh, questions around what's going to happen to the uninsured depositors. And for a while, well, it was kind of looking like they had to maybe take a loss for the first time in decades. You know, somebody actually maybe have to take responsibility. Uh, but it ended up going the way that uh, the equity investors, shareholders, they basically got wiped out. The bondholders are probably going to get some cents back on the dollar, but not completely. But the depositors, even the uninsured ones, they were looking at it like a maximum 10 to 15% loss. That was the general opinion on Twitter. And they just got made whole, which also means that the entirety of the U.S. deposit system is now implicitly guaranteed by the Federal Reserve and the U.S. taxpayer, which is a deposit base of like 17 trillion plus. Basically, take M2 and double it. That's where you end up. Now, obviously, that's only necessary if everybody keeps pulling their deposits out. And it looked like this uh, bazooka, if you will, stemmed the tide a little bit on uh, Friday. Uh, and Monday, uh, you know, on the start of the week. But then today the contagion spread over to Europe. Because the problem is, because Silicon Valley Bank had a completely moronic book, they went first, but they're not the only one with these problems. Now, everyone else obviously has hedged their interest rate risk, so while they do have losses on the books in long-term bonds and mortgage-backed securities, they uh, have also positive balances in their swaps that they bought. But now the question is, who issued those swaps? Who was the guy that at 0.5% on the 10-year and the bank went to them and said, you know what? I think interest rates going to go up. I want to hedge that risk. Said, sure, I'll take that loss if that happens. Because that, that has to be on the book of someone. So if that's, again, banks, and they've been hedging each other's risk, then nothing's really hedged now, is it? And if deposits could continue to outflow, the problem just gets worse. See, all these banks don't have a lot of cash on hand. The big banks do, obviously, but that's just because of their size. 
as a percentage is not that big. So at some point, we don't know exactly when, but at some point, the banks are going to have to start selling securities and stuff they have on their books to come up with the liquidity needed for deposits, which is going to make them take losses. And even with the deposit guarantee that the Fed came out with, it has a few um, drawbacks. I've, I've forgotten the exact things, but it basically means that uh, if even if they can loan at par value, meaning that the Fed will loan them the money uh, for the bonds as collateral at the price that they bought them rather than what they are now, which is much lower. Even then, there is a negative carry on that trade. So the, the banks will still be losing money. So the, so the bailout was more, it's, it's a lot of smoke and mirrors. It does involve the taxpayer. So it is a bailout. I mean, uninsured depositors take risk. They know this. And if they don't, it's their fault. But they got bailed out anyway for their ADC. So it's still a bailout. However, it's not a complete one. It's not one that's going to save the banking system. In fact, it's one that's going to hurt the banking system. Simply because um, the money for this bailout for uh, insuring depositors at par is going to come out of the FDIC. And the FDIC fund is one that all banks pay into. Now, bailouts aren't exactly popular right now. So the FDIC, I think, already announced a $65 billion raise. The banks are going to have to pay into that. I mean, the healthy ones. So the more of the bad ones collapse because they have to make back uh, deposits for, uh, you know, for the uninsured depositors pulling the money out, the more of their risk is spread onto the good banks, which is, if it just gets big enough, which is what they're betting on, doesn't happen. But if it just gets big enough, it's enough to bring down healthy banks too. Meaning without this uh, extra tax, if you will, pushed on them, they might survive. But now they just won't. So uh, we're just going to have to see how all of that turns out. However, that was yesterday, Monday. Where we are now is that the same kind of questions about rates going up and what does that do to your book? Uh, those questions are being asked of Europe and the French aren't saying anything. The Germans are saying that there's no chance of any contagion from tech coming out of the US. And uh, Credit Suisse is out there saying that the liquidity is strong, yet now they're begging for the central bank uh, to give them a public show of support. Literally, just 20 minutes ago, Credit Suisse has asked the SNB for a public show of support from the Financial Times. So uh, <laughs> they are deteriorating fast. But also, that should come as no surprise because I've been shitting on Credit Suisse for more than two years now, ever since Greensill. So, uh, yeah, as I've been saying, it's not a proper, uh, you know, nothing can be fixed if we haven't seen a bank die. We've, we've got two dead banks now, but considering the context that it took up to 5% on the 10 year to get there, I need more banks. I'm not happy with two and even, even two and one GSIP. You know, globally systemic important bank or whatever the uh, abbreviation is. Credit Suisse is dead. This is definitely dead now. 
But, um, well, First Republic Bank got downgraded to junk today by the S&P. And, and you know, if the, if the rating agencies uh, finally decide to rate something down to junk with a negative outlook, it's already dead. Like, they, they, they think it, the, the risk of depositors fleeing is elevated, which is, thank you, Captain Obvious. But hey, if they're giving up on the bank, why shouldn't everyone else, even with the deposit guarantee? The equity investors, the shareholders, and the bondholders, if it gets that far, will still be wiped out. And uh, today I saw the first messages come by of uh, a Swedish pension fund that invested in Silicon Valley Bank. And I think a Finnish pension fund or something also took a loss in it. So uh, pensions are starting to take losses. And guess what's in these pension funds? Usually by law, well, it's not just these investments in banks, but it, they're supposed to be safe investments. So they also bought treasuries and they also bought market-backed securities. They also did this in 2021 and 2022 or at the start of it. And they're also now underwater because they have to be because this is a systemic issue. Now, the banks might not all be as undercapitalized as some of them, and we don't really know which ones yet. More bodies will float to the surface, as they say. But what I can tell you is that the pure fact that locking in a fixed rate loan, which is what a mortgage is, or a treasury, it's all a loan, locking it at a 3% fixed rate, then looking at a 6% rate a year later, that loan is just le worth less. It's just worthless. You can get a loan today, or you, you can invest in somebody taking out a loan today at a 6% interest, or you can buy this thing in the open market for 3% interest. It's just worthless. It has to reprice. And since the banks have gone with a lot of shenanigans, as usual, in order to not mark all this to fair value, well, the, the market is kind of forcing them to market to fair value now. And a lot of share prices aren't liking that. So this is all just securities being underwater. Just wait till they get to the loan books. You know, we haven't seen layoffs. We haven't seen delinquencies gone up yet. It's hard for delinquencies to go up if everybody's locked in at fixed rates at 3% and inflation's near eight. Wages might not keep up, but a 6% wage increase is still more than a 3% mortgage. So it becomes easier to pay. So I don't expect delinquencies to tick up quickly, However, if layoffs continue to happen, if people lose their jobs and people simply cannot come up with a lump sum every month to pay back the mortgage, they're going to stop paying their mortgage. And even if they're not going to stop paying their mortgage, they might stop paying their obscenely expensive used car loan. And the used cars have also dropped in price like 13.3% year over year, according to the CPI that released yesterday. So it's those mortgage-backed securities, or well, car-backed securities in this case, uh, yeah, they just dropped in price too. Now, luckily, I think the most of the car market is variable rates. So uh, that should be less of a problem of whoever holding them, but they'll still take a slight loss. Uh, every bank statement, every bank annual report I went through, um had losses on their books for mortgage-backed securities, commercial-backed securities, muni bonds and such. First Republic Bank is a good example there. 
we'll, we'll get to that because that's not even an issue in the market just now, but we'll get to that. First Republic Bank as a percentage loss has have something like t- minus 12% on their securities for sale portfolio. Uh, commercial mortgage backed securities is about the same. But if you look at muni bonds, which is where they put most of their money, 17 billion of it, those were down 16% in their portfolio. The taxable muni bonds, which is a different subclass apparently, that ended up being down 28% as far as percentage goes. And corporate debt securities was down 32%. So they invested just about the same in taxable muni bonds as they did in mortgage-backed securities, but they were down nearly double. One dropped from 2 billion to 1.75 billion. The other dropped from 1.7 billion to 1.2. So considerable drops. We haven't even gotten to the corporate debt securities. We work as a company still isn't debt yet. And as long as we work isn't debt, I refuse to believe that the commercial mortgage-backed securities is done with imploding. Same with as long as Credit Suisse isn't debt, I refuse to believe the bank crisis is over. And I've said that for a long time. It's coming true now. So we work is on the kill list, unfortunately. But that's just because they didn't want to let it die a long time ago. But it's the same, it's the same there. They were uh, they we work engaged in long-term leases at the top of the market, and the market is no longer at that top. It's that simple. Yeah. So we had all this trouble in the banking system. Do you think it's over? Credit Suisse just failed an audit, apparently. <laughs> They're no. lacking uh, report uh, controls over reporting of their financial statements, uh, which is not good. I think they're trading down fifteen percent today. <clears throat> this is after you know that series of, of scandals. It, does it end here in the banking system? I have to think that we're going to see more of this because, at, you know, treasuries are a big issue. Any sort of debt is a big issue, and if those are assets on the balance sheet, they're not yielding what they used to. Doesn't this put the entire banking system in potentially a liquidity crunch? And yes. also, doesn't it mean that they may have issues meeting like Basel requirements for liquidity? Oh, uh, we won't. Well, I don't even think we'll get to uh, the problems with capital requirements. I think we're just going to go straight to uh, too many deposits are being pulled out and they have to sell whatever they have on their books at a loss which is going to require them to get more capital, which is going to make them sell more stuff on their books at a loss. Now, people think this isn't, uh, or contagion isn't really possible that this is just a regional banking crisis. We're past that now with Credit Suisse taking nosedive. It's currently down 20% on the day. And that's just on the day. That's not even talking about the massive decline they've made since the beginning of the year or uh, beginning of last year, I mean, or the year before. It's It's been a trip. Like, it, it, if Credit Suisse, it's at $2 uh, now. If that hits uh, $0.70, cents, it, no, $0.73 cents to be exact, it will have dropped 90% from the high, and from that point, it has dropped another 90%, Okay. It's, it will be down 99% from its high. A bank. The high was in 2007. 
it's just one slow grind down that has materially accelerated in 2022 when rates went up. You can pull up any chart or credit suisse you want, pick like a five-year chart, look at the start of 2022 when rates started going up. It's, it's obvious this, this bank is just dead. It has to die. If Credit Suisse, with all the shit that it pulled, the fucking exec scandals, the material misstatements on their annual statements for 2022 and 2021, the fucking uh, Archegos and Greensill, uh, they've, they've paid like two fines last year for lawsuits, massive fines. If they don't die... What does that tell us about bad behavior in the markets? Then you can literally do anything you want. As long as you've got enough money to pay the fine, you can literally just murder people because it doesn't matter anymore. You know, if they make bad decisions, if the bad decision, they invest in fraud after fraud after fraud and they don't know, just, just let them die. I don't, this is September, 2008 as far as the reckoning for the banks is concerned. But it is not 2008, because this time it's no longer palatable to bail out the banks. The people won't have it after they've been suffering from inflation so much. So the depositors obviously cannot be made to lose too much money, because then the whole uh, system goes down the drain. But equity holders and bondholders and such uh, While well, they got wiped out in uh, Silicon Valley Bank, we'll see how much the bondholders get back, but I, I, I think the shareholders are gone. And that's the precedent set now. Uh, Biden said very clearly that the taxpayer will not pay for this. Well, if it gets big enough, they'll pay for it. But that's the atmosphere. That's the line of thinking. That's the way we're going to try it first until that gets untenable as well. So yeah, if you're a shareholder, you've got no reason to hold on to the shares of the banks right now. There's every reason to just sell, not take that risk and buy it back lower if you still believe or if they haven't died. But uh, which banks will actually fail, which banks will pull through? We won't know. Uh, I, if I had my money in America and I'm starting an American company, I'm going to try and sell a product in America. So I will have a lot of American dollars soon, hopefully. What would I do in that situation? I would put it under JP Morgan. Just concentrate on the biggest one because if JP Morgan goes down the drain, the entirety of America is screwed anyway. That is truly the definition of too big to fail. So, yeah, that's what I would bet on. Obviously, you know, gold and silver. Uh, but I need to store the money somewhere before I can buy physical assets or whatever kind of assets I want to invest in. And I would just put it with the biggest. I think JP Morgan is so big, they can't even be taken down by Kramer, even though Jim Kramer said that JP Morgan is a fortress. So I'm playing with fire. But no, no, no. I, I, I would, I would just bet on the biggest. It's none of it's original, none of it's unknown. All of it's going to play out exactly like you think, because the most efficient answer, the most logical answer, the most optimum way to survive is now the same for everyone in the same situation. So everybody will start making the same decisions. 
small regional banks will see out, continued outflows going into large regional banks or large regional, large national banks, because everybody realizes the same thing. Those things will get bailed out because if they don't get bailed out, the system dies. But the small ones, they're screwed. And if you don't want to deal with your assets, you know, being frozen for a week or two while the bank gets sold or put on the FDIC receivership or whatever, you just move it today because they'll move it today. You know, many people just not take the risk. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see continued outflows. We'll see a couple more bank failures. We'll see a couple of big ones because, as I said, it feels like the era of responsibility is back. And that is also just a function of the easy money era going away. We're in the transition now. How, how do you make money without easy money, easy loans? Profits. You got to produce something that's of value. How, and, and the companies that don't produce anything of value, the so-called zombie companies that can only live until they get their next fundraise, I'm sorry, they're just going to die. And from what I've heard, 20 to 25% of the U.S. economy is zombified now. So say goodbye to 20 to 25% of the economy. I don't think that's going to happen because it's too big of a loss, which is exactly the reason why I own gold and silver, because there is just one solution to this problem. So those are, so what should people do? Buy gold and silver. Yeah. But I mean, in terms of this, the banking system is in trouble. What do you think happens next in the economy? Is it a banking system that's going to cause the economy to crash? Or do you think there's more that we're waiting to see? Because I see problems all over the economy, not just in the banking system. Oh, of course it's going to crash. Of course. I mean, we're talking about the banking system, but well, technically not. I've been talking about mortgage-backed securities. It's not just the banks that hold mortgage-backed securities. It's not just the banks that bought mortgage-backed securities in 2021 and 2022. And uh, we went absolutely fucking crazy there with the housing mania. So my next question would be rights. R-E-I-T's, or basically companies that are based on investment in mortgage-backed securities. Yes, same deal for them as with the banks. If they can hold on to the mortgage-backed securities, hold them to maturity for the next 10 to 12 years, then there's no problem. But if they have to start selling down their mortgage-backed security portfolio, all of which at a loss because they have to start making deposits, that's going to eat into their equity. The moment the equity is underwater, as a shareholder, you're not going to hold on to the equity. Like if you're, if the company's trading in a negative book value, you already know that if this company dies now, you're going to get nothing. So why hold? Why hold? Especially why hold when you can still buy a six month US treasury for 4.7%, already considerably lower than the 5.3% it was a week ago. But it's still fairly high. You know, that's, almost, that's a guaranteed 4.7% inc- uh, income because there's no way in hell the U.S. government won't pay its debts within the next six months. The whole debt ceiling debate is the same Kabuki theater as it's always been. And apparently the TGA is bleeding money now with the FDIC insurance. So, uh, yeah, I think we're going to get a report from uh, Yellen fairly soon that they're not going to run out of money by June. It's going to be much sooner. And I think the politicians will just fold like cheap lawn chairs like they always do. They'll sign some kind of quick deal with some pork in it to make everyone happy. And it goes up by another three, four trillion. A trillion of which will get used up fairly quickly. 
because they have to pay back all the things they were supposed to already pay and they didn't. And then there's still the interest on the national debt, which will continue to go up as long as rates are this high. Ironically, rates going down because of the banking crisis is helping to compensate for the interest rate on the national debt going absolutely parabolic. So by all means, raise rates further, you know? And if they don't raise rates further, inflation's just going to come back. It's just going to come back. Because uh, a lot of a lot of attention has been gone out going out to um, the year-over-year change, right? Because uh, it came in uh, t- uh, today or yesterday with six um, percent over year year-over-year and five five point five percent core, and everybody's cheering that it's gone down. But that's the year-over-year change. I want in absolute values. So you just look up the CPI index, which is indexed to I think 1984, very thematically. And I look at that, and in March of 2022, it was 287, because it's an index. It's a flat number. Then it was 289, 292, 296. And from June 2022 to about December, it was 296. Uh, In uh, June, it was 296.3. In December, it was 296.7 or 0.8, rounded up. So it, it stayed about the same. A little bit of a hump came down again. In January, it was 299. In February, it was 300.8. Inflation's going back up again. And it's been going up since December. In an absolute number. So the Fed actually just doesn't have a choice. It has to rate rates. Except that considering what just happened over the last two days, just, just to emphasize the speed on this move and how bad shit got. We were expecting like a 5.6% terminal rate towards September last week. Now, the market is expecting only a 10 basis point hike in March, which is in a week from now, and a full percent of rate cuts for the rest of the year. And I say again, in a flat number from December to February, the CPI went from 296 to 299 to 300. So... What we've been saying all along that the Fed is absolutely stuck, well, you, you see it in the charts now. I've been saying also that uh, the past, uh, I guess, year of quiet, even though things happened compared to now, it was quiet. That was mainly uh, just due to, uh, to problems compensating for each other. So the people not taking the money out of banks just made that not a problem. The banks could just accumulate losses. And indeed, if everybody just stops taking the money out of the banks and the banks can roll everything to maturity over 12 years, then uh, everything would kind of be fine. But the problem is that with the CPI going up, people have higher living costs. People need more money, which means they're naturally going to pull more money out of the banks. The whole economy is just screwed. 
And as I've also been saying, you cannot solve 75 years of governmental mismanagement in a year or two. You can't even do it in five. You can't even do it in 10. You're looking at a lost generation at the very least. And I, I, I saw the other message come by of some Americans started pulling their money out of Social Security long before retirement. Oh, oh, now we've got a background on the Social Security Fund, which is filled to the brim with U.S. Treasuries. I'll bet plenty of them bought last year and the year before, too. So the moment they start selling down their holdings, even if it's not at a loss, it would still add to the Treasury supply in the markets. You know, the more depositors that pull the money out, the more mortgage-backed bonds and Treasuries have to get sold. So while yields are going down in a flight to safety now, that's not going to last forever. At some point, and again, I don't know when this point is, but it must simply happen through logic. At some point, yields are going to start going up despite people fleeing the bonds for safety. And that's also the point where gold and silver start accelerating. Will it be soon? I don't know. I don't know. The banking crisis is fresh. And if there's one thing I can say, is that banking crises, crises are not over quickly. Any hope that uh, it would be contained to the, re to the regional banking sector in America is now gone, now that uh, European bank stocks have dropped across the board. Everybody knows. This, this is a giant red signal, just as Silicon Valley Bank was a giant red signal that something is up. And people just can't ignore this. So, you know, the, the regulators, like German regulators, saying that uh, uh, German banks have no exposure to contagion from the US. That's not what people want to hear. People want to hear that they're looking at it. This situation got to be this way because everybody kept ignoring the problem until it started hitting the markets. And now they're still trying to ignore the problem, which is just hitting bank stocks. And they shouldn't. I think the ECB is having another meeting tomorrow where they're supposed to raise with 50 basis points. I wish him luck. I think they're going to pause, if not straight up cut. I think they'll fold. If they raise with 50 basis points tomorrow, if they raise, fucking raise the interest rates in, in a banking crisis, not even into a banking crisis, they've already managed to do that. All of this got triggered last week because Jerome Powell had to be hawkish uh, in his fucking uh, press conference uh, in front of Congress. He had to uh, make the suggestion that rates were going to go up higher for longer and people made the call. And now we're here. So if they, if they continue to raise rates now, while we're in a banking crisis, pretending we're not, well, the fireworks so far will be nothing. Then we'll, then we'll really start a bank run. I'm not even sure if the big ones will survive. So Kirian, uh, have questions moving over to the cryptos. Obviously you had FTX blow up <clears throat> and... It appears as though maybe there's some liquidity problems over in crypto as well. Kind of tell us what's going on right now with the cryptos. Well, they're locked out of fiat. Not completely, not yet. Like I said, uh, USDC is still an exit point because they've started a redemption and minting process again. So uh, if you make an account at Circle and then uh, buy USDC in crypto and you send it to them, they will wire you money via, I think, a bank called Cross River Bank. Uh, also a bank in the crypto sphere, fairly small, 
but I think they just uh, are used as like a money transmitter because, you know, the, the money is in the bank of New York Mellon. It has to get to you somehow. Um, so I guess that's, that's their agreements that they've made. Uh, last I checked, I did see their market cap falling or at least moving up and down again. You know, there was a little bit of an action about a day ago. It's going currently sideways, so I'm not really sure how operational that exit off-ramp is st still is. I really don't know. They, Circle could announce that they are just shutting down USDC coin as a whole uh, simply because, you know, uh, the business didn't work out or something, and that's that fiat off-ramp gone. I'm not sure if they'll do. Uh, obviously, they're allied with Coinbase and USDC coin. USDC, I mean. So it's... Um, they're very much incentivized to try and keep the system going, but God, the market cap went sideways for a day. Then they announced banking again, and now it's gone sideways for a day again. So I just, I just, I just wonder what the hell's going on there. Um, Tether is very concerning due to the fact that it just keeps being above peg. It's slight, slightly down somewhat now, but if you look at a yearly chart, uh, Tether. Uh, it's still the price is at 1.0022. Doesn't sell like much until you realize that the average fluctuation was 0001, 22 times higher than your average fluctuation. Uh, and that's now, it's already come down a lot. It, it, the price all spiked all the way to uh, 1.03. In uh, when people panicked about USDC having reserves at Silicon Valley Bank, which is silly because you know Tether, we don't even know who they bank with. They've never been forthcoming about it. It doesn't list in their attestations. I have no idea if they still have banking. I really don't. I, I see coins moving out of the Tron Treasury into the market, but I have no idea what kind of money flows are opposite it on the other end. Tether claims to have a lot of treasuries, and they also have claimed to have never taken any exposure or loss on literally everything that happened over the past year, even though they're intertwined with everything in the crypto space. So, yeah, that is just, that is still the same black swan waiting to happen. But so far, they've managed to just be lucky and skirt all the problems. It turns out that lying works better than being honest. Obviously, until the day it doesn't. But if you want to keep something going until you absolutely cannot, lie. Lie and cheat. It's the best way to do it. So uh, the lies will continue. The cheating will continue. The shenanigans will continue until people en masse realize that getting any sort of volume of dollars out of the crypto market is impossible. And that's when the selling starts. I also don't believe that the current run-up in Bitcoin to, what is it now, 25K, 26K? Oh, it's lower now. It's dropped another 6%. Okay. Now it ran up to 26K recently. I don't believe any of that's legit. Simply believe it's the uh, market manipulators just deciding on a higher level to compensate for bad news, such as losing banking. So do you think, has crypto completely lost banking or can I describe the challenges there? It's not, like I said, USDC coin, stablecoin exits. Uh, yeah. Paxos, maybe USDP, those kind of off ramps might still be there in limited fashion. Uh, yeah. but but Signet, 
and Sen, meaning Silvergate Exchange Network, both of those are down. They're dead. Silvergate is dead uh, and Signature Bank is dead. Volume exit in USD uh, or any kind of fiat is probably no longer possible from crypto. And one of the reasons why the Bitcoin price has gone up is simply because the exchanges have wash traded it up to hide the fact that if everybody starts trying to withdraw, crypto is going to suffer a bank run much quicker than the traditional banking sector is. I wouldn't touch crypto with a 200-foot pole. It was already, for a while, that's been the case. But now I, I wouldn't even consider it. I wouldn't even consider taking a donation in crypto. I've refused donations in crypto before. Yeah. I said, I, yeah, I, I just don't want to touch the stuff. Do you think there's any chance it recovers? Do you think any anything's rebuilt? Yeah. Well, long term, long term. We're talking 10. I've written, you've, you've uh, read my books on uh, value, money, and crypto and such. So you know that I think there will be a future. Mm-hmm. But I also think it needs another decade in the oven. Simply because the same mistakes that the traditional banking system has made and are now getting punished for, simply the question of what is and isn't value, the same kind of mistakes are visible in crypto. And Bitcoin needs to deal with that. Bitcoiners haven't wanted to deal with that so far. Uh, Using any kind of excuse under the sun to explain why Bitcoin's gone down or gone up at any given point. And at some point, they're just going to have to deal with it. And I think for crypto, that point is going to be the same point as the banking system, meaning that after it's all fallen down, people will start listening. Once they start listening, they'll start understanding what I mean. Once they understand what I mean, they understand how foolish they've been, and they'll get to work on the next generation. Will anybody know? No, because the public will be dead sick of crypto. Nobody will touch it uh, because, you know, everybody's lost everything. So even if somebody comes up with the ultimate solution to money, nobody's going to give a shit because it will be crypto and nobody will be touching that. Except that we see this stuff in the stock market time and time again. After a mania and the stock market comes down, people are not willing to touch stocks. That's the time where the smart money buys because that's the bottom. And then over time, after it keeps going up and up and up, what I've said many times, a pattern of behavior will get to everyone. It might take some people a bit longer than others, but it will get to everyone. So even after this, let's say that even the NASDAQ goes down to, let's say we don't go into hyperinflation. This is just another crash like we've seen so many times, only they don't restart the printers or not completely. So the NASDAQ goes to 4K and goes sideways from there. Many people take many losses, pensions wiped out, whatever. If then the NASDAQ goes from 4K to 4.5K next year, to 5K the year after that, to 5.5K the year after that, to 6K the year after that, at some point, even the most skeptical person is going to say, you know what, I think it's just going to go up from here. At that point, people start stepping back in. It goes up faster because more money flows into something that didn't flow towards that before. Demand increases at the same supply. And because it goes up faster, more people notice. And that you, then you get the next mania. So crypto will suffer the exact same fate as um, the stock market because there is something there. Despite the biggest detractors saying like shit like, it's only a fancy append-only database. No, it isn't. 
if one thing Bitcoin has proven is that despite, despite a trillion dollar market cap, it, it itself, the system, has not been hacked. It is still secure. It still functions exactly the way it was programmed to function. And that is an achievement. You work in software. You've worked in software. You know how much of an achievement that is within software. That you can get it right on the first try. Holy shit. It's just a question of value. Because what Satoshi set out to do was to just create a scalable, secure transactional system. They've done it. He, he's done it. Or whatever, whoever it was that did it. But he's not an economist. And you can see that from everything, including the, the set limit of Bitcoin. The set limit of Bitcoin is madness. You know why, you know why the banks are collapsing now? Deflation. M2 has gone down by a few hundred billion. Just a few hundred billion out of a couple of trillion. So it's still nothing. But these kind of effects that you see now that debt becomes harder to pay is because of shit like this. If interest rates goes up, uh, some investments go down in value, which means that you take losses, which affects your cash. It means you have less liquidity, means it becomes harder to pay back your debt. Some companies go bankrupt. That causes more deflation, especially if it's bank and deposits go down the drain. And that's how you clear out the bad companies. You make it harder for every single company to pay back the debt. And the bad ones, which don't generate any profit, can't pay back the debt, so they go away. And after they've gone away, you no longer have got these bad companies that are absorbing resources out of the economy just to keep running. The only companies you're left with are the companies capable of producing anything. That, that is a normal recession. That is a normal reset. That's the normal end of the business cycle. The problem is just we've suspended the business cycle of money printing for so long that the return to the mean is going to be so bad and so damaging that I just don't think the policymakers will allow it. Everybody will protest it. And at some point, they'll just turn on the money printers, which saves everything except the currency. And for the first year, year and a half, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Biggest CapEx boom you've ever seen. Every single thing you invest in goes up. And then we realize how much purchasing power has been lost. And then the prices don't stop going up when we need them to stop. Then we're like, okay, okay, there's plenty of liquidity now. All the problems have gone. We can turn the tap off. We're a, a little bit of... What's happening here? That's, that's what's going to happen every single time. They're going to try and turn off the tap. It's going to crash. They're going to turn it on again faster than before. We're just seeing the early innings of it now. This is, this is just a crash of the general economical system. And crypto, because it's a fiat derivative... There is no value in crypto itself, except for the value it derives from the dollar price you see in the market. It's going to crash with everything else. And that's also going to cause the people deep into crypto to double down and say, okay, how can we actually give it value then, since our previous uh, plans all fell apart? Well, that's where my system steps in. And I'm, I'm just, just, just so everyone knows, I'm not arrogant, arrogant enough to say that my system is the ultimate system. I'm just saying that it could form a very good basis for whatever system anybody else decides to develop off of it. You know, it's the basis of all systems, just like Bitcoin is basically the basis of the current generation of crypto, because every, everybody just tried to copy Bitcoin in different formats and such. That's the first generation that needs to die. 
Once that has died, people realize, oh shit, that was not the real answer. What is the real answer then? This is the next question. Then I can help them forward with that. And they can either decide, yes, the system's good enough, we'll try that. Or they can decide, you know what? This guy thinks he can take the system and improve it. So we're also going to go with this. I don't think there's a reason to have 23,000 cryptos, but uh, a good 100 should be uh, viable in the market at any given point. What kind of 100? I don't know. But I do know that it's none of the top crypto now because they're all making the exact same mistakes. And they all think that simply creating a transactional system is enough. But it's not. You have to make the transactional system better than the ones we already have. And I know crypto people don't like this. They don't like to hear this. But trust is efficient. Trust is incredibly efficient. And paranoia does not work. Meaning the less people you trust, the more paranoid you become the more damaging it becomes. You have to trust people at some point. We've had this discussion, you and I, uh, about Kinesis. Because in theory, I can't support Kinesis because it's not a crypto. It can't be a crypto. Maybe it interfaces with crypto, but it's a centralized form of trust because you're always trusting Kinesis to have the gold and silver. Now, there's there's ways, of course, where the trust is enabled via audits and and such, but it's always the case that your central access and exit point to this gold is Kinesis. So at that point, since they are already running the most important part of the system, they might as well just use a regular database in order to push numbers around. Crypto here, where it has to be validated with math and multiple nodes and stuff, it's just overhead. It's an overhead increase. So in that sense, I don't think it's going to collapse. I just think that if they have to compete with the same system that doesn't use crypto, but a regular trusted database, they will lose because there's no difference between them and the non-crypto database as far as trust goes. But overhead, they do have more overhead than the other guy. Where, as I said, I don't think... Kinesis is going to go valueless, but I, I simply think that we need to have an, a good discussion on what value actually is as far as humans are concerned. And what I, what I th- think value is, is simply something that's useful to us. That's why I created ResearchCoin, because it basically piggybacks the transactional system off of a network that j- computes mathematical research. AI is big now, like it wasn't a year ago, but now it is. So if I would have written the book now, I would have included the chapter about decentralized AIs. But AI costs a lot of computing power. Chat GDP 4 is better than 3 or 3.5, a lot better. And it basically comes down to they've just trained it more on more computing power. They just added more parameters. So if you have a global computing network, uh, that can handle a lot of parameters. But there's supercomputers everywhere. All governments are building supercomputers bigger and faster than the last one just to do weather computations. We can decentralize them. And once the network produces that, uh, that information, which has value to us because we can use it in real-world applications, then we have a crypto that produces value. The same with uh, video rendering. Video rendering is very easy to paralyze. There's actually a crypto out there that already tries to attempt this, 
But as always, it's just a crypto interface for their own centralized video rendering service in Hollywood, which they already had. That's not what my system is. My system is completely decentralized, trustless, and all that, all the good stuff that crypto is, and even Bitcoin is. But it also allows you to distribute work fairly and compensate for it fairly with all the security reasons and at a faster transactional speed than Bitcoin does. And what rolls out of it at the end is not, is this the password? No. Is this the password? No. Is this the password? No. Is this the password? Yes, you get Bitcoin. Is this the password? No. Is this the password? That's what Bitcoin is. What comes out of this is every time it renders a frame and the network verifies that the work was done, you get a payout for a frame. Just as if you were to have to build a very large computer to render those uh, very difficult to render frames for you, which costs you electricity. So you already have to spend real world resources to get a real world gain on this. Why not just piggyback a transactional system off of it? Which in turn solves the whole money problem where money can or can't be printed. Yes, it can be printed, but it's based on the economy. So if people stop ordering experimental research because they're not making as much profits as they thought, they also stop ordering research Demand goes down when the supply stays the same, and thus uh, money printing reduces because you don't need more money if value is being lost or not increasing as much. Money is a representation for value in the system. So the more money we print versus the less value there is, the worse problems get. And that's where we are now. The entirety of the fiat system is dying. All these central ba- all these banks have these problems, and we continually need to backstop them with even more fake money simply because that's the end of the system. We've just done it for too long. We've extracted all the value we can out of this, and now we're just fudging with numbers. That's all we're doing. So this, this, are you asking me if it's systemic uh, or whether crypto has a chance and all of that all leads to the same answer? Yes. Just a general yes. Are we going to have a banking crisis? Yes. Does crypto still have value? Yes. Is it still going to crash? Yes. All the bad shit that we've been kicking down the road is just going to come back to haunt us now. Uh, despite everything I just said, because I have silver in the vaults, uh, I have a very mellow outlook on everything. And the way I see it, it's just autopilot now. Like, this is the stuff we've been talking about for very long. The reactions to it is going to be predictable. Denial, 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 bailout. And we also know where the inflation in the future is going to come from. That is the bailouts. So we're just have to go get through the denial. Uh, With the VIX near 30, that's not going to take long, I don't think. But still, the NASDAQ is above 11K. And if you pull uh, a trend line from, uh, God, let's say 2009, 13, 14, somewhere around there. Yeah, if, if you take a trend line over, uh, you ignore the dot-com bubble and you put it on the top of 2003 to 2007 uh, uh, in the NASDAQ, because there wasn't a tech bubble when housing collapsed, actually. And you just extend that line forwards, it goes all the way out to say 2012. And then the NASDAQ started going up exponentially. You just pull it on through, you end up around three and a half K on the NASDAQ. That's the mean. So if you want to revert to the mean, that's how far we have to go down, which means that we can't go that far down. It's going to be bitching all the way until we actually fall that far down. We're going to bail out the markets. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. 
is going to be complaining all the way down. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to be a fun time for anyone. It's not, but we'll come out on the other side of it. That's always the good news. There is always a spring again. It's not winter all the time. Oh, in 20 <laughs> years, sure. <laughs> it's It might be a slight nuclear winter. <laughs> <laughs> well, I certainly hope not. Well, I did predict at the end of last year in a, in a video with the early stage investor, and I should give a shout out to Elliot because, you know, I did the MBS video with you and I did a year earlier with Elliot. And we haven't even gotten to that part yet. My, all of this is just duration risk uh, coming floating to the surface. Yeah. People haven't even looked at what's inside the mortgage-backed securities, which is trash again because they didn't learn anything last time. So, but I, I said uh, at the end of the last year that this is going to be the year where currencies are going to be very volatile, not necessarily up, not necessarily down, just huge spikes either way. And the dollar's up 1.25% today. We're, we're going to see the same kind of thing. I saw somebody on Twitter mention that uh, a banking crisis inevitably turns into a currency crisis. I think that was Ellis Dermer Cloud. Yeah. So we, we've got that to for, uh, to look forward to where, uh, yeah, they're going to bitch all the way until they've got no choice. They'll bail shit out and they'll sacrifice the currencies to save the bond market like they were always going to. And that's going to cause the inflation we've been waiting for. And that's why you want to be in gold and silver. Yep. I agree with you. Thank you, Karen, so much for joining the program again. We'll have you back on. Sure. <laughs> when things are even more aflame. Hey, thanks for watching. We selected these videos just for you. Check them out. And remember, $4.99 a month keeps the lights on and the channel going. So join our Gold Silver Pro supporter membership. We appreciate your support. Keep stacking.